find it helpful to have that passage in Exodus open in front of you. Have you ever tried to do a deal with God? Look, Lord, I really want this job, wife, husband, house, promotion, salvation of a family member. If I give up X, Y, Z, or or I start doing A, B, C, you'll do it, right? Or when you give that to me, then I'll start doing those things. That's sort of a deal. Ever tried that? Or if you haven't done a deal along that line, have you found yourself ever praying to God along these lines? Lord, look, I, I prayed for this a few weeks back, and I've been really trying really hard these last few weeks. I've given up this, I've started doing that, and I thought if I did that, then you'd bless me. But you haven't. What's going on? I think all of us can fall into that mindset sometimes, can't we? I've heard similar things from pulpits. Unanswered prayer? Well, it's because of sin in your life. Finding life tough? It's because you're not following God's will enough. Struggling? It's because you're not obeying. But is that what the Bible actually teaches? Well, we're coming here to the last part in the section of laws in Exodus. And it seems a bit, at first glance, a bit like it's sort of terms and conditions. You know, when you get that uh, sort of thing at the the bottom of your uh, document you have to sign, or those bits they say really fast in adverts, you know. If you keep all these laws, then you will find lasting happiness. If you do not, your home may be repossessed or your land invaded. (laughs) That sort of a thing. It's sort of the, the bit at the end that's sort of tagged on. But it was common in treaties at the time that blessings and curses be added to the end of an agreement to pronounce what would happen if they did or did not keep the treaty. This seems to be a mini one at this stage and it's sort of fleshed out later on uh, further in the other books of the law. The gist of it really though is three promises by God, conditional on their worship and service of him alone. It's a warning to them not to go off serving other gods, but also an incentive for them to stay with him. God promises them blessing if they will obey. Well, you might always say, well, that sort of answers the question then, doesn't it? Obey God and be blessed. That was the covenant, that was the deal, yeah? What blessing? Keep all the rules. As we'll see, though, it's not quite that simple. The talk is not quite over yet. So first of our points this morning, of our three points, is three promises. Three promises. God promises three things for his people. First of all, presence. Have a look again at verses 20 to 23. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way, and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. God promises here to send his angel before them. Now this has got a lot of attention over the years. Sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? But it's not quite as weird as it sounds. That said, it's not an everyday thing. It's true that the word angel there can mean messenger, But to be honest, it more often means angel. Who is the angel if the messenger is a human being? Well, it's not Moses, because the two of them are mentioned together in chapter 32. So who is it? Well, we've seen this angel before. In Exodus 14, verse 19, 
were told this, then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So the angel moves and the cloud moves. What was the cloud about? Well, we were told that too, Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. The cloud was a sign of God's presence. And the angel is linked with that some way as well. It's like also the angel is God's presence with them. This is seemingly the angel of the Lord, the manifest presence of God. Let me explain it, what we've seen so far. So Exodus 3, we see this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And yet, even though it's the angel of the Lord, in just a few <coughs> verses later, this is what he says. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look at God. <coughs> for the angel of the Lord to be there is for God to be there. So what it's saying here is that God will be with them. God will be guarding them, preparing the way for them. And this makes far more sense of the fact that the angel uh, is spoken of as pardoning transgression, of being rebellious, <coughs> as being the one they are to listen to and obey. Obey all his voice, verse 22, and all that I say. His voice is what God says. This is the angel of the Lord. Now, I don't think scripture gives us enough information to be able to confidently assert that this is a particular person of the Trinity. Some commentators confidently affirm that this is a pre-incarnate Jesus that's in mind here. But I'm nervous of ever mentioning Jesus and an angel in the same breath. Because scripture tells us explicitly that Jesus is not an angel. In fact, he is far superior to the angels. He's in a different league. He's in a different sport, really, uh, to the angels. Plus, if it's the angel of the Lord, well, he appears to the shepherds while Jesus is on earth in Luke 2. Anyway, what we are to take from this is that God himself will be with them. And his presence is going to be a big deal in the following chapters. If God's not with them, they're going to say, there's no point in them carrying on. So God promises his presence. He also promises them provision. Have a look at verses 25 and 26. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Great promise, sorry, great blessing is promised to Israel. From the cradle all the way to the grave. From wounds that won't miscarry to fullness of days. Abundant food and drink. No sickness, no disease. Sounds incredible, doesn't it? Who wouldn't want to live in a world like that? Physical blessing was part of this covenant for a physical nation. So the prosperity of the nation was linked to these promises. How this works out, we'll come to in a minute. But the final promise was proactive preparation. Have a look down at verse 27. I will send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. 
And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. It was hard to put this across in one word, really, but it's the idea of God going before his people into the promised land. It's sort of linked with his protection, but it's more than that. It's a sort of proactive protection. God prepares the way for them. He goes before them into the promised land. He goes before them to protect them and bring them in. He will send hornets before them into the promised land that will drive the inhabitants out before them. It's like God is preparing the way. Before they even get there, God is doing things to get the land ready for when they arrive. Now again, there's been a lot written about the hornets here. At the carnival yesterday, we had a swarm of bees uh, come to us. That was quite one of those things where you thought, I've never really seen this before. It just suddenly descended uh, on our area and then lifted and went off. It could be quite, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with snakes. I'm okay with, uh, you know, spiders, but bees and wasps, they, yeah, they really, hornets would be included. That's why we haven't got a big picture uh, of a hornet up on the screen. But there are hornets here that are mentioned. They're mentioned three times in scripture here, and then Deuteronomy 7, 20, and Joshua 24, 14. But they're all related to this. Now, many people have taken this figuratively. It means something else, being like Egyptian raids or infectious diseases. But I think that's really unlikely in a book like Exodus. I mean, think about it. God literally weeks before this had sent plagues of frogs, flies and gnats on the Egyptians. Sending literal singing hornets on the Canaanites is not beyond the realms of possibility, is it? It just seems like this is something that God could do. It's hard to get stats globally about hornets, but in the US, more people die from insect stings than die from snake bites. By a factor of like two or three times. Could you imagine a plague? I don't even imagine a plague uh, of them. I remember reading some time years ago that some reckon that Canaan could have been seriously compromised by such a plague. Not enough people to defend the size of the towns they had. Migrations out of the area by people who didn't want to live with all these hornets around. It's tricky to find records of such a plague and its effects. But it's hard to find many records from this time, apart from the great nations like Egypt. And even then, details are often missed out, which would paint them in a bad light. But do you see, God is promising to do sort of to the Canaanites what he's done to the Egyptians. Only here, it's before they even get there. He's clearing the way. He's levelling the path. It's preemptive preparation for the promised land. And whilst there are great promises here, the, the promise of presence, of provision and proactive preparation, there is another side to what's going on here. There's something from the Israelites that's expected. And so our second point, provisos. Let me read to you uh, 24 and 25. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars to pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God. And then down right to the end, 32 and 33. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. You shall not dwell, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. 
This is not quite the, the deal that we're used to in the New Testament, is it? It's very much, you do this, and I'll do that. There's an element to the law of Moses which is conditional. Do this and you'll be blessed. Do that and you'll be cursed. And it's all set out in detail in Leviticus 26. And then again in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. At the end of all this, Moses' plea to his people, as he finishes with all these things, will be this. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring might live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. The choices are set out before them and they are to choose life. They are to obey the Lord, to listen to his voice, to serve him alone. And if they do, God will bless them with all the things that he's promised. And if they don't, he'll remove everything that they've promised. It's almost the way you treat a wayward child. You know, if you behave yourself, you'll get a treat. If you misbehave, you'll be sent to bed early. God incentivizes obedience. He doesn't even ask them to obey for obedience sake. He promises them reward for their service to him. He tells them that worshipping other gods will be no good. It will be a snare. It will be a trap. And yet, even though it makes every logical sense, therefore, to follow him, these rights won't. Most won't even try. Even though it would mean blessing. Even though going their own way would mean cursing, they choose death not life. Just like their ancestors before them in the garden, when given the choice, they choose death. And yet how many of the unconditional promises that God made to Abraham, promises of a new world, promises of incredible blessing, promises to undo what those ancestors did, are now bound up to this covenant, to agreeing to obey this setup. They're now in a setup that requires obedience in order to get the blessings. So in order to keep his promises to Abraham, God must have a people who obey. Problem is, of course, that these people refuse to obey. As you go through the scriptures, we see time and again. And it's a tension that's set up all the way through the Old Testament. God says you must obey to get blessing, and they keep disobeying, but God has promised them blessing. How is it going to work out? How can God keep his promises, which he has to, he's God, when it depends on the obedience of a disobedient people? Well, the answer, according to the New Testament, is Christ. Sorry, Jesus is the answer. Sorry, that's a little bit cheesy, isn't it, in that way? But it's Christ. He fulfills the righteous requirements of the law. So that we have access to the promised blessing. He took the curse of the law that we might receive its blessings. So Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. 
So Jesus takes this from being an interesting history lesson for one group going into a particular land to being lived out theology for all God's people. Because through Christ, we are included in these promises, whatever our old relationship to the law was. Later in Galatians 3, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So all who trust in Jesus enjoy these blessings that we were talking about. And that takes us up to our final point, the present. The fact that we are in Christ means that those promises still stand for us. In fact, we have upgraded promises, if you like, lasting ones. These promises have been supersized in Christ. We still have the promise of God's presence. Think about it, that's what's promised to them. We not only have God among us, or God before us, but in the New Testament we have God in us. Such is his presence. The promise is fulfilled by Christ and experienced by his Holy Spirit. After Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says this, And behold, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The angel went before them, the boat before them went, didn't he? It's not there anymore. God threatens to take away his presence from the people in just a few chapters' time after the incident with the golden calf. But Christ, Christ remains with us always. He can never be taken away from us. Nothing can separate us from him. He lives within us by his Holy Spirit. And that is a constant reality for believers. We actually have a closeness to God that the Israelites couldn't dream of. They were amazed that God would be with them in a cloud. Well, we have God inside us. God with us. God in us. We have that promise of God's presence even better than what they had through Christ. We also still have the promise of God's provision. God blesses us greatly in this life. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, some of you will say, well, hang on. Wasn't it physical blessings that are promised here? Wasn't it physical blessings that were promised to Israel? Well, it was. And we will experience those. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the spiritual blessings that Christ gives us offer far more, are of far more value than the physical ones. This isn't a downgrade from the promises to Israel. It's an upgrade from the promises that they had. They did not all have the spiritual blessings that actually we take for granted as believers. Just from Ephesians 1, we sang a, a version of it, the song just before uh, coming to this together. We have the blessing of adoption. We have the blessing of redemption. We have the blessing of forgiveness. We have the blessing of salvation. We have the blessing of revelation of God's great plan. We have the blessing of an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. We have the blessing of indwelling by God himself through the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Many of those Israel had in a sort of physical sense. They were physically rescued from Egypt. But we are physically, uh, sorry, spiritually rescued from sin. But isn't that the greater rescue? Isn't that the greater blessing? 
to be rescued from sin rather than just be rescued from one country to another. And these things were procured at the cross of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Aren't they the greater provision? Aren't they the costlier blessings? Because in the end, the greatest spiritual provision is Christ himself. God gave us Christ, his own son. His own son was provided as a sacrifice for our sin. And still God provides for our physical needs as well. He provides us our daily bread, our daily provision. All that we need daily to survive. And the secret of contentment in what has been provided. It's true that God is still the great provider. That's why we give thanks for our food, isn't it? After we eat, or before we eat. Depends if you remember to do it before you eat. That's why as a church we give thanks for leaders like Mike, like we were doing earlier. Because God provides. We give thanks to God. And we trust in him to provide in the future in a multitude of ways. And to bless his people. So God is still providing. And we still have that promise of provision. And the final promise. We still have the promise of God's proactive preparation. What did Christ say to his disciples in John 14? He said this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus has gone to our promised place, our Father's house, and he's preparing it for us. Not by sending uh, plagues of hornets or anything like that, but he's gone before us as our forerunner, as our pioneer. And he will return and bring us safely into our promised land, the new heavens and the new earth, the whole new creation. Far better than the one that we have here. There, those promises of of physical blessing will fade into insignificance. Fullness of years, promises here, try no death. That's what's promised there. No sickness, promised there. Well, actually, Jesus promises no pain whatsoever. Bread and water, that's what he says he'll bless there. We'll try a feast with marrow and aged wine at the king's table. Even the temporal, physical promises will be swallowed up by even bigger ones. The question is, though, do these still come with provisos? Must we still unlock the promises, so to speak? Well, there's only one proviso in the New Testament. Repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, I know there's a few maths teachers, uh, former maths teachers with us this morning. Uh, It's not a maths mistake, because faith and repentance are two sides of one coin. Turning away from sin and turning to God. And that spiritual move puts us in Christ. In the one who perfectly obeyed the law. And in him, the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us. And therefore, that makes us inheritors of these promises. So it is based on obedience, but it's based on his obedience, not ours. Our obedience, then, New Testament-wise, is faith. Trusting in Christ and the behaviour that then flows from that. We become more like the one that we're in. 
And he perfectly showed exactly what kind of character and behaviour the law was pointing to. So we gradually become in behaviour who we are in Christ by faith. That's what we've been looking at in life groups in, in Colossians. But is there then no blessing in obedience? No good result from good behaviour, so to speak. There is blessing in obedience, but not in the way that we think. It's not that we bribe God to bless us by obedience, doing the deals that we spoke of at the beginning. If you want that kind of deal, write to Santa. He's the one checking his naughty and nice list to see what presents you deserve. That's what Santa does. Our God is a God of grace. That said, living God's way is living the best way. And it does bring a degree of blessing. So 1 Peter 3 verse 9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary bless, for this you are called, that you may receive a blessing. Or Psalm 1 verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. God has set up a world where making wise, godly choices will lead to earthly blessing. But it doesn't guarantee it. Think of Job, for example. He lived a very obedient life, but didn't get blessing from that. What is promised for obedience to God's standard, actually in the Bible, is persecution. So 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So obedience is no guarantee of getting what we want from God or having an easier life. Obedience can often make things harder for us. Think about Daniel and his friends in Babylon. Think of the Apostle Paul following what Christ had called him to do. Think of the Lord Jesus by obedience going to the cross. But we look for a different kind of reward, don't we? Not having God as our personal genie, not having God as our deal maker, but having eternity with God as our loving Heavenly Father who delights to give good gifts to his children. It's by grace that we're saved, and it's by grace that we live. So we can come to God with our requests, big ones, but let's not try to bribe him with our obedience, but trust instead in his wonderful promises fulfilled in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that he obeyed perfectly. Father, thank you that he always did what was right. And Father, thank you that because of his death on the cross and because of your wonderful plan, we are included in Christ. Father, help us to keep trusting in him, not as an excuse for sin, not to do what we want, but Father, that we might become more like him. Uh, Father, that we might please you more and more in the ways that we live, not to bribe you, that Father, but in order that we might show our love uh, to you in keeping your commandments. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.